Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how transformative leadership inspires positive connection, courage, and culture in the workplace. My first guest is Rob Dubay. He is the author of Do Nothing, the most rewarding leadership challenge you'll ever take. And he is my guest, and he is my friend, and I'm so glad he has a good sense of humor. <laughs> Okay, Rob, thought experiment. I love it. What thank if? you for having me. Yeah, what if? Go ahead. What if? Oh, you don't need to thank me for having you. I'm so grateful that you're here. What if somebody said to a non-meditator, hey, we're going to send you on a meditation retreat. We're going to send you away for a long weekend and help you chill and learn to focus and relax. Like, what would the average leader do? <laughs> Mostly freak out. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and I put myself in the same category because uh, it's hard. We're so connected. And so our brains are wired a certain way. And there's, I always say, what's going on out there? You know, there's so much coming at us so fast, and especially in business. And I'm an entrepreneur, so it's not exclusive to me, but it's what I know. And so I just know that I'm needed for certain things and I want to get back to people. And I have a, have a high level of accountability about that. But it's hard for me to keep up. And so my brain gets full quickly. And uh, then I might not do my best work. And so uh, the idea of turning it off is very scary. But once you go out and do that, it's pretty enlightening, actually, in the sense that you're not going to be floating in an enlightened sense, but more uh, enlightening that it feels good. It feels good on your brain and it feels good uh, both physically and emotionally uh, to step away for some period of time and really not have access to uh, all the connectedness in the sense that we have it today. So let me roll back a second and just clarify that you you are a businessman. I mean, you have successful businesses. You are well known within the business community for what you do. And you are a meditator and you have taken the technology of meditation and applied it in the spirit of leadership training. Mm -hmm. So mainly what I put together through a series of discussions by the discussions weren't by accident, but what I ended up uh, organizing was by accident. Um, my own journey uh, started when uh, I realized I had a lot of anxiety and 
through a series of experimentation and, and trying different things, I found meditation to be really useful and, and primarily focused breath meditation. So it's a secular practice, meaning it, it didn't take on any sort of religious connotation, but it was simply just sitting, focusing on my breath, allowing my thoughts to roam around without judgment, and then trying to bring myself back to the present moment and focusing on my breath until my thoughts would take over again. And the reason I bring that up is because many people believe that when they're meditating, the goal is to be free of thought in in a sense, almost escaping. But actually, in the type of meditation that, that I practice, um, you're not escaping at all. Um, in fact, everything's coming to the forefront. So um, sorry, I took a bit, bit of a divergence there. But I wanted to clarify how this came about. Uh, this this retreat that I've organized has come about. Yeah. And, and then, well, I think what I hear you saying too is it's not, uh, what, what, what comes to one's mind, you know, with flowing saffron robes and incense and <laughs> gongs and chanting, although there may be some of that there, that the foundation of this is, is a little bit different. Yes, correct. Along the way during my journey, I read about silent retreats and, and I actually learned about a study that was done that said, silent retreats in some ways could be more impactful than a daily practice. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I went on one for a whole day. A whole day? Yeah, a whole day. (laughs) Not the 10-day Vipassana? (laughs) No, I'm from Detroit. I traveled all the way out to Northern California to a place called Spirit Rock. And I was nervous and I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this day. This is crazy. But hey, the worst case scenario is I'll leave halfway through or something. (laughs) And what I ended up finding out about myself is that it really felt good. In fact, I was kind of bummed out that it ended. <laughs> and so I thought, I think I could do this a little bit longer. And so I did some research and I found one that was a seven-day retreat. And I went on that. And surprising to myself, I found that really was not a problem for me at all. And so I started taking this on as a routine. I started doing them twice per year for a week to 10 days at a time. And I was just going along my way doing that. And I noticed things were shifting in my life. And I felt good about that. Not that I was perfect. And I never will be this is going to be a life's journey. But I thought, this is pretty good. And so then people started to ask me the types of questions that kind of you started off. What, you know, what is going on on these retreats? I mean, what what do you do while you're there? And, you know, do you sit around and do nothing the whole time? <laughs> and and yeah. then I kind of laughed. I thought, that's funny because it seems like you'd sit around and do nothing, but it's actually hard work in many ways. And the person said, you know, that'd be a great idea for a book. Call it Do Nothing and explain this whole thing that you're doing. So I kind of chuckled about it and I was sharing that story with my wife. And she said, you ought to write a book about leadership and how it's helped you because you've noticed a difference at your company. And it's a real difference. It's it's like no joking. It was a real difference. And so I decided to chronicle a little bit of my story. And then I started to do research on other leaders that had similar stories and they'd incorporated meditation into their lives and taken silent retreats and found the time 
to do that and found it to be a very worthwhile usage of their time. And these range from, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs to, you know, entrepreneurs you might have not necessarily be household names, uh, but had successful businesses in their own right. Then I thought, you know, it'd be neat. It'd be neat to to organize a retreat for leaders and, and incorporate. And, and that's what I ended up doing is I organized this retreat, which I call the Do Nothing Leadership Retreat. And it takes place in Colorado. And we bring a group of up to 50 leaders. And we have a, a, it's just about five days um, in length, of which approximately two or so are in complete silence. And we take, uh, we, we do a lot of things while we're there. We learn a lot. Um, but part of what we learn is during that uh, two days where we're in silence, um, you know, we learn a lot about ourselves during that time and others without talking to them. Yeah, I would I would imagine so. I would imagine the awareness of one's own self, one's surroundings, and then sort of the subtleness of body language and eye contact of mm -hmm. others is qu yes. quite a social study. It is. It is. In fact, I, I say somewhat kiddingly, but very seriously, um, you will bond with other leaders in this time of silence. And normally, I think, you know, if you're uh, somebody maybe who attends conferences, or even goes and does different types of, you know, leadership workshops, or whatever it might be, generally, they're very interactive, and you're doing uh, a lot of uh, talking or connecting and, and things of that nature, getting to know people and creating contacts out in the world and things of that nature. But when you're on the retreat, <clears throat> you're you're in silence, but you're doing the same thing, actually, in a much different way. It's a heightened sense. Um, your, your sense perceptions are at a level that you're you know, usually not accustomed to. And so you start to notice people and you start to notice things in a much different and what I would say is a little bit deeper way. So when you come out of silence and you connect verbally, there's this sense that you know somebody in a sort of kind of intimate way, but you really haven't even hardly spoken to them. And from there, conversation ensues and there's an immediate bond, which, uh, you know, creates a level of trust and a level of openness and vulnerability that you could carry over once you go back into your regular routines and lives and all that kind of stuff where you stay in touch and, and uh, many business opportunities have been discussed and created and, and um, connections have been made that have transcended beyond the retreat, which is really neat to watch. I would imagine that would be a real reward, a real perk for you to see the retreat as being a fertilizer for creativity. Yes. And it was something that I really didn't know would become a part of it. I thought it would be a leadership journey for each person individually, which it has that piece as well. But to see the uh, cultivation of friendships and business relationships, um, what a surprise. And it just makes my heart feel so happy uh, to see that happen. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Dubay. <laughs> to learn more about his work and the book, Do Nothing, The Most Rewarding Leadership Challenge You'll Ever Take, 
as well as his podcast, The Do Nothing Podcast. Please visit donothingbook.com on Twitter at Rob D. Dubay, on Facebook, one, and on Instagram, Rob D. Dubay. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. Meditate on that for a second. Hang on just a minute here. Before we jump to the break, I want to talk shop with you. If you are running a small business like me, you've learned to adapt and roll with the times. You know, every minute matters, every dollar counts, and banking is a chore. Some of my chief complaints about old school business banking are holds on deposits, being nickel and dimed by fees for everything. And let's not forget how hard it is to speak with intelligent life when calling customer service. Meet Aslo, a new friction-free modern way to do business banking. Aslo is a free business checking account with invoicing, bill pay, money transfers, no minimum balance, no ATM withdrawal charges, and no fees. Unlike other banking options, there is no minimum deposit required. You'll never be charged maintenance or overdraft fees and no ridiculous phone system that feels designed to test your patience and waste your time. Go to aslo.com and apply in minutes. You'll thank me for saving you time and the hassle required to apply in person for a traditional old school brick and mortar banking with limited storefront hours. And there's no waiting to use your account. With Aslo's free instant funding feature, you can deposit up to $1,000 and access it in your account instantly. Simply put, this is business banking done better. Aslo's banking services are provided by BBVA USA, member FDIC. And because they make business banking easy and offer a fee-free checking account, Money Magazine called them the best business banking option for freelancers and entrepreneurs. And Aslo's co-founder is one of Fortune Magazine's latest 40 Under 40. I love Aslo's efficient dashboard and powerful integrations with QuickBooks making me a very happy camper. And don't forget to check out the all-new Aslo Pro Bundle for only $10 a month with tools like unlimited envelopes to organize your money, discounted instant transfers, and the ability to set up recurring invoices. Because you listen to this podcast, you can also try Aslo Pro free for 14 days at aslo.com slash hh. Learn more with a free copy of Aslo's Small Business Starter Guide or get started right now and get an Aslo Pro free 14-day trial at aslo.com slash hh. There's no minimum deposit required. Get started for free at aslo.com slash hh, spelled A-Z-L-O dot com slash hh. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit harvestinghappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We're back. But before we get back to it, I want to remind you all about the power of resilience. Professor Angela Duckworth, a grit and character development researcher, wrote, when it comes to how we fare in the marathon of life, effort 
counts tremendously. And research has proven that resilient folks have a greater ability to bounce back after challenge and adversity. Whether you call it hardiness, grit, or resilience, it is essential in recovering from difficulties. In fact, resilience is a prized character strength of happy people. And now more than ever, a functional requirement in our new normal and new world of work. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, resilience should be part of every job description. Whether you're ready to make your next important hire or need some rehiring tips, Indeed is here to help you meet your workforce hiring needs. Indeed.com is the number one job site platform in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility in your hiring process. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed will help you find the high-impact hire you need, just like they have for more than 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash HH. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash HH. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Now let's return to the conversation. And we are back, continuing the conversation with my guest, Rob Dubay. We're talking about how transformative leadership inspires positive connection, courage, and culture in the workplace. Let's get back to the conversation. And Rob, let's go back to the conversation and back to the book. In the Do Nothing, the book, you talk about the simple six. Yes. So the simple six are things that we've identified at my company um, through uh, serving and speaking with our team members uh, to be things that we all know that we should be doing in our lives, but are very difficult to do for some reason. And whenever I share these with people, they shake their head because they know exactly what I'm talking about. And also, I always like to just state that there's like 66, but these are just six. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's no expertise here. It's just something that we've come up with. And so, the first we've already talked a bit about, which is we talk about meditating or just taking time to simply breathe in and breathe out on a daily basis and try to practice coming to the present moment. And the second thing, which we all know is very important, is to get enough sleep. Yes. Uh, the third the third thing is to be sure that we uh, fill ourselves with proper nutrition. Uh, the, the fourth is to move on a regular basis. The fifth is to connect with other human beings. And the last is to express gratitude on a regular basis. And Again, most of these things to your listeners, they're shaking, and I'm sure you as well are shaking your head going, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But for some reason, one, two, three of those for all of us uh, can sometimes go, you know, askew. And so what, you know, we talk about is really first and foremost, just bringing these concepts to our awareness on a regular basis. For example, 
if we're not sleeping enough and we we bring that to our awareness on a regular basis so here at the company before we start every meeting we ask how did you sleep last night and we have you rank your sleep from one to five, five is a great night's sleep. I got all the hours I wanted. It was very restful. And, you know, one was, I, I didn't sleep at all. And so what we found is that on average, uh, when we survey our, uh, the, our team members, uh, they get just a bit over six hours of sleep per night. And what that tells us is that we're sleep deprived as a company. And so what we want to do is get help each other get more sleep. And so what we've done through that process is made made that come to the top of mind and people are talking about it and they're creating games around it and they're encouraging each other and they're sharing tips and so on and so forth. So the whole idea here around the simple six is simply to bring awareness to these things. And if somebody doesn't want to make changes in those arenas, no big deal. Um, and if they do, we want to be here to support them. And once you're aware of something, you start paying attention to it, you're more likely to make changes for the better. And I want to just talk a little bit about your personal story, your evolution as a young entrepreneur of blow pops. <laughs> <laughs> and, you'll, and you'll tell that story to a Forbes top 25 company in America. Well, my best friend, Joel Perlman, and I started selling blow pops out of our lockers in ninth grade. And we could have <laughs> never, <laughs> we could have, we're still business partners. We started this company together in 1991. And so who could have imagined that story would stick around? And, and at the outset, we certainly didn't even think about it or use it. But along the way, somebody said, you know, that's a really good story. And we thought, really, is it? And what they said to us really connected and, and what it was is that people can relate to that story because either they've done it or they know somebody that's done it or you know so it's it's one of those stories that people seem to you know really have a resonance with so you know yes that's how we got started and we started our company together in 91 after we graduated college and really without much in the way of uh, background and business training or you know how do you run a business it was just the two of us and we were just trying to make things work to the best of our abilities, we just didn't have a whole lot of abilities. Um, for, for, my, for myself, my parents uh, were divorced at a young age. It caused a lot of turmoil, turmoil in my life. And so I sort of had this, this on the inside, a, a stress level that was kind of always carried with me from a young age and into high school and college. And anxiety came very easy to me, and as did high standards that were impossible to be met. And so so through, uh, uh, you know, a series of, you know, trials and, uh, you know, going to therapy and, and trying different things in my life just to try to settle myself, I learned about meditation. And, and that happened uh, around 2004. And, and Joel and I had gotten the business to the point where uh, a company had actually approached us and offered to buy our company. And we went through and did sell it. And we had a three-year employment agreement that came along with that sale. And I found myself just about as stressed and anxious as I'd ever been. And having had been through therapy uh, for a number of years, 
it certainly was very useful and I'm glad I did that, but I knew I needed something different. And I read a Time Magazine article about meditation. And this one particular day uh, was very challenging for me. And I decided to go sit in a chair and try this. And I sat in the chair, I set a timer for five minutes, and I just was sitting there with my eyes closed breathing. I wasn't even sure I was doing it right. But what I realized was when I was done, I actually felt better. And it wasn't that my problems went away or I wasn't so frustrated. I just felt calmer inside. And, and so I just decided, to investigate it further. I'm a fact finder. So, you know, I was investigating all the studies and trying to make sure it was fits within my value set and my lifestyle and all those types of things. And, and I started to take on a practice and I found it to be very valuable. I agree with you. I, I, I stumbled upon meditation myself in 2000. 5 2006 for mm -hmm. much the same thing you know stress anxiety and trying to get well i think you control is what the word that comes to mind but it, i think it was really dominion over my mind mm -hmm. not control right. right yeah yeah right exactly and in 2006, uh, just 18 months after we'd sold the business, uh, the the company that had purchased us offered to sell it back to us. And uh, we decided we would uh, take the company back. And But we thought we wanted to do something different in terms of how we showed up as leaders. And coincidentally, right around that time, we'd read this book called Small Giants, and it was written by an author by the name of Bo Burlingham. And he had interviewed companies all over the world that had chose to be great instead of big. And it didn't mean they weren't big. Some were very big, actually. Uh, but first and foremost, they cared for the totality of their team members' lives. And I thought, and Joel thought, wow, there's businesses like that? Never heard of them. Uh, you know, that's a thing didn't know that. And that really resonated with us. And so we just engulfed ourselves into this whole conceptual idea of caring for the totality of our team members' lives first and doing everything that we could possibly do as an organization to lift them up and not drag them down on a daily basis. And so we did it was it was a journey and it still is it's a little bit at a time it's little things here and there that help to enhance their lives and help them to have a better life experience and a better experience here at at our company and hopefully that translates into you know many good things for the world and the universe and you know and our company Tell us a little bit about what the company does, because do nothing is separate. Uh, the, the leadership part is separate from the, the corporate aspect, although you employ the, the, the do nothing process within the company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, it really does kind of flow in and out for sure. The company is a managed print services company. So we sell multifunction printers and copiers and we manage that whole process for um, medium to large size organizations. So, um, you know, what we do isn't, you know, we're proud of what we do and we certainly think we're the most 
you know, the best choice out there for for what we do at Image One. Um, but that said, it, there are many companies in this industry, and there are many choices for the consumer um, and for these companies. And so we don't take that lightly. And we feel that what differentiates us is the way we operate the company. And the beautiful thing for Joel and I about that is, it's just who we are. So it's not done. You know, it's not done uh, intentionally to get to, to differentiate ourselves. It's done intentionally because it's who we are. It's authentic and it's just the way we run the company. And if that translates into better business, then that's great. Well, and and your company is sort of the proof of the pudding, right? That 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 it works. That what you what you have done with meditation and this philosophy in your own life scales up to a business and you see the rewards of not only probably your bottom line, but the well-being of the people that come to work at your place every day and their families. Yes. And that's the most rewarding thing of all, because to see people who are smiling and happy and, you know, sometimes we might visit customers or colleagues and peers and, and, you know, any of us who walk into a business, whether it be, you know, a retail establishment or, uh, you know, an office setting, you feel something right away. You know, you just have a vibe when you walk into a place and, uh, you know, when you walk into our place, you feel a real hospitable sense of things. And there's a lot of laughing and there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, fun, but seriousness in the same, in the same, at, you know, at going on at the same time, uh, the serious meet being the work at hand, you know, the stuff we got to yeah. get done. Um, and so, um, we're, we're proud of that. And that is really fulfilling and, and thank goodness it translates into good business too. And it's, you know, it, it translates into successful business. And, you know, the other piece to this is when we are successful, we share in that with our team members, because, you know, without them, there is no organization, there's no company. And so, you know, we practice open book finance, Uh, we use a process called the great game of business, which was created by a person uh, named Jack Stack out of Springfield, Missouri. And uh, we teach financial literacy, everybody in the company, learns how to read a income statement and a balance sheet. They learn personal financial stewardship, meaning for their own lives, and they own line items at the company. So we're just not reporting out they're owning um, what's happening around here, and they are empowered to make the best decisions with the finances, which means, you know, whatever they do, they're entrusted to go ahead and do it. And, you know, eight and a half to nine times out of 10, it's a great decision. And yeah. one time out of 10, it might not be, but hey, those are pretty good odds, and we're taking those. I hear you. To learn more about doing nothing. Buy the book, listen to the podcast. The the book is Do Nothing, the most rewarding leadership challenge you'll ever take. To learn more about Rob, I'm doing that again, just to be silly, (laughs) Rob Dubay, please visit donothingbook.com. On Twitter at Rob D. Dubay, on Facebook, one, and on Instagram, Rob D. Dubay. Rob, come and hang out again. I like visiting with you. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor. We'll be right back. 
Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Welcome back. We're continuing the conversation about transformative leadership, what it takes to inspire positive connection, courage, and culture in the workplace. My next guest is Kevin Hancock. Kevin Hancock is CEO of Hancock Lumber. In 2010, at the peak of the national housing and mortgage market collapse, Kevin acquired a rare neurological voice disorder called spasmodic dysphonia, also known as SD. When his own voice became weakened, he developed a new leadership style based on strengthening the voice of others, and he is now a champion of a work culture where everyone leads and every voice is trusted, respected, and heard. Amen to that. The book we're talking about is The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. Welcome to the show, Kevin. I am really excited to talk with you for a zillion reasons. Lisa, it's great to be with you. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I'm happy to be here. Oh, me too. Tell us a little bit about your background and your first years of leadership at Hancock Lumber. Yeah, well, our company goes back to 1848. Lisa. It's one of the oldest companies in America, and it's a family business, and I'm part of the sixth generation of my family to work for the company. And growing up and getting into uh, management and leadership at the company, I would say my approach was very traditional. I kind of followed what I had seen come for me. And that was really a leader that was always front and center, presiding over all the activity, giving the uh, talks, really being the face and voice of the company. If you'd seen it, you would have thought it was pretty typical and traditional. And then... Yeah, so then I <laughs> then I lost my voice, and I uh, had to change in a in a hurry. You know, really, when you think about it, if you're a CEO, your your tool is your voice, and suddenly I couldn't uh, use it uh, much because of the spasmodic dysphonia. So it's quite interesting what happens when it's difficult to talk. You develop strategies for doing less of it. And my first strategy was simply to answer a question with a question, thereby putting the conversation back on the other person. So picture the scene at work. Someone comes up to me with a question or a problem because I'm the CEO or the quote-unquote boss, if you will. And I started answering uh, by saying, well, that is a good question. What do you think we should do about it? 
And originally, this was not a leadership strategy. It was just a defense mechanism to protect my voice. But what really struck me over time, Lisa, doing this for you know months at a time, eventually, was simply this. People already knew what to do. They didn't actually need, as it turned out, a CEO-centric solution or directive. What they actually needed was just the encouragement and the confidence and the safety to trust and follow their own voice. You know, there's something very interesting in shared leadership. And it's not a term that I had heard until I had read your bio and read the book, um, where we're sharing this experience, right? Every experience we have where there are others involved, it is shared. And we all bring to the table our experiences, our strengths, our goals, our visions, our desires, all of it. And to think that the leader, that, that others that we work with don't have innate leadership already built into them, we're really short shorting uh, our our investment in them. And I don't know no. if that made sense, what I just said. <laughs> oh, oh, it makes total sense. And that's really the epiphany that, um, that I experienced. It, it hit me eventually that perhaps the new limitations in my own voice which I initially thought about as a hindrance or a pain in the neck, quite literally, Lisa, were uh, actually really was an invitation to strengthen the voices of others. And I got thinking a lot about this idea of dispersing power instead of collecting it. We have 550 people who are part of our team and the simple idea was well what if they all led what if they all were the voice of the company what if they all were the leader of their part of the business wouldn't that create a more agile dynamic and successful company but even more importantly Wouldn't that make the company a more valuable social institution that, if you will, Lisa, the company could become a place where everyone could come into their own voice and really come to know, trust, respect, uh, and test and develop their own unique voice? Well, you know, it's interesting. As you speak, I'm thinking of the soft skills the emotional and, and and social intelligence that we should be learning in schools or in the home that we don't always get. So we learn it the hard way through the school of hard knocks. And what I'm hearing you say is that what if you sort of turn the table and say, well, you can learn it in, in the business because it's a safe place to discover your voice, to discover your power, to discover one's own value. It's sort of antithetical to what the business place has heretofore been thought of. No, exactly. I love how you just said that. I think for a number of reasons in the 21st century, 
it's time to rethink the purpose of work. And the purpose of work for the people who do it really should align with the core purposes of life, which we all would agree are bigger than just economic. With my own voice condition, I really started to ponder the possibility that perhaps uh, we're all here living a life on earth just trying to find our own unique, never-to-be-repeated voice, to say it differently, that we're all here to self-actualize, to commit to our own uniqueness. But where do adults have a forum to do that, to really go through that exploration and maturation? And I believe that work... Uh, is really the primary potential place uh, where that can happen in a way that really benefits the company, but more importantly, uh, adds meaning and value to the individuals who work at the company. And when the individuals feel a sense of satisfaction, you know, that idea of being seen, heard, and understood and valued, they're less likely to leave. No, exactly. I've come to talk about this as um, the creation of an employee-centric company where the first mission of the business is to be meaningful and valuable for the people who work there. Or to say it differently, if the employees are having an exceptional experience, in my view and experience, it's almost automatic that the customer is going to have a great experience and that the company is going to be uh, exceptionally well cared for by the people who work there. So the idea is to put that corporate flywheel of success in motion by focusing on the people right in front of you, the people who work there, and making the first priority their experience. And how does that translate when it's externalized to the community? Well, that's a great question. I think the way it, it translates is it within the, the, the authentic brand of the company. When, when the people that work at the company are going home and really talking about their work experience in glowing terms, are really proud and thankful uh, for the company they're a part of, that that, that just uh, permeates the, you know, the community. And it's really how you build an authentic brand. And building that brand is not the goal. It's really the outcome of a of a higher purpose. You know, statistically in this country, uh, employee engagement nationally runs around 33%. So what a tragic number that is. So like two out of three people um, in America really are not engaged at work. It's just a paycheck. It's just a source of income. At Hancock Lumber, through our annual um, 
third-party administered engagement surveys, we're running close to 90%. So close to nine out of 10 people who work at our company will confidentially describe the experience as meaningful and engaging. Well, what's interesting is that you are interested enough to ask, right? That already is very different than many companies that really don't slow down long enough to inquire as to what the employee's experience is and the employee being, I mean, that workforce being the most valuable asset that they have. Correct. And I think that uh, really gets to rethinking the mission, the mission of a company. So we actually uh, made, as I mentioned, the employee experience our first mission. And if that was your mission, you couldn't pursue it without really learning to listen to the people who work at the company. And even more importantly, uh, to make it safe for the people who work at the company to say what they actually think. We are going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to continue the conversation with my guest, Kevin Hancock, who is the author of The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. To learn more about Kevin and his work, please visit www.kevindhancock.com. Again, that's kevindhancock.com. On Twitter, at Hancock Lumber. On Facebook, at Kevin Hancock and Instagram is Kevin D. Hancock. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about transformative leadership, what it takes to inspire positive connection, courage, and culture in the workplace. Let's get back to my discussion with Kevin Hancock. And Kevin, you know, going back to you and the story, I'd love to know some stories about leaders who have implemented your strategies, who have implemented the seventh power to change their own company cultures. Sure. I think for starters, I might just talk about how it has impacted us. So we've been on this mission for about a decade of really focusing on uh, dispersing power, sharing leadership, giving everybody a voice to put um, what that's done for us in context. 
our profit performance from 2010 to 2020 was greater than our profit performance from 1848 to 2009. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And, I, and I am saying that to give tribute to the idea of sharing leadership. So when the company really learns to focus on the employee experience and to see employees as human beings and to see them as leaders, those people will reciprocate and pay the company back many times over. So the profit performance improves, but I'm, I'm always careful to say there that is as the outcome of a higher calling. The higher calling, it's for the company to be meaningful to the people who work there. Yeah. That higher calling gets it every time, right? It, it wins. It does. It's really, think about if you work at a company that made you its mission, you and your coworkers, its mission, how would you feel about that? Oh. <laughs> and what kind of enthusiasm and loyalty would you bring to the company in return? It's a, to me, it's an irresistible mission, meaning that anyone looking at it would want to um, be a part of it. Well, it's the uh, the investment. You know, when you look back at the time when in 2010, the, 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 the climate in the world and people were suffering great losses, you and I have spoken about that offline. Um, the fact that you could circle the wagons and maintain and support your team, your employees through this method to rise to astronomical profitability after such a downturn, it really is a testimonial to the process itself, right? You invested in them, they invested in you, not because they felt obligated to do so, because they wanted to do so. Correct. And it's really about developing a whole new set of management strategies in which the uh, leaders are really servants and are creating a forum, consistent forum, for the voice of all employees to be heard within the company. Now, one thing I think that's important to point out on that subject is uh, that doesn't mean anarchy and chaos right. and everybody <laughs> doing whatever they want to do. Right. In fact, what we found is just the opposite. And I would summarize it this way. People are much more apt to support that which they help to create. So we're still big on rules and best practices and consistency and discipline, but all of that got much, much better when we gave the employees a bigger voice in determining how to go about doing that. You know, as you speak and, and you talk about your journey and the, the loss of your voice 10 years ago, the um, recovery 
of of your voice in both uh, literal and symbolic terms, um, it it sounds like it was almost like in some strange way that the that loss had to take place in order to strengthen your own voice, your own inner voice, your mental voice to get really clear about what it means to truly be a leader. That's exactly what um, what happened, Lisa. So it was a really big shot across my bow that forced, forced me to stop, sit still, look inward, think, and be quiet. And out of that initial shock and chaos came this real clarity for me about um, the fact that my voice condition was actually a blessing and a gift and an opportunity to create change, that it had a purpose. Yeah, as often crisis does. We just don't know it as we're in it. Right. Yeah. Talk a little bit about other leaders who have implemented the strategies. Are there any other companies that you're willing to to share with us who've had success? I'm actually, if I might, going to go the opposite direction back in time. So I ended up a couple years later as part of my kind of personal spiritual recovery work. I ended up traveling from Maine to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, which is the biggest, most historic, and today poorest of all Sioux reservations on the Northern Plains. And there, the real connection Lisa, was I discovered an entire community that didn't feel fully heard, that felt as if a big piece of their voice had been taken or stolen. They felt marginalized. And I got looking at the history of how the Plains tribes were really um, overrun and defeated and exploited in Uh, the last 150 years, really since America's manifest destiny and the winning of the West. But prior to that time, when these tribes flourished, when they were independent and healthy and strong, um, the power of the individual human spirit was really their organizing principle. When you look at their core values and traditions. They're really about honoring the strength of the individual. It reminded me of Rudyard Kipling's iconic line from the Jungle Book, the strength of the pack is the wolf. And that when each individual is healthy and strong and following their own true voice, then that's how you make a tribe strong. A tribe is made strong one individual at a time. So when those communities were honoring the individual human spirit, they flourished. And then during the reservation era, when they were really uh, governed um, in a very 
callous way from away from Washington, D.C. by a foreign power, essentially, that had defeated them, uh, that's when the community came into struggle. And I really, really put that together with my own experience and said that in the 21st century, we need a new leadership model that uh, honors the individual and the term the seventh power is really representative of that idea of building a community, uh, one individual at a time, giving everybody a voice, everybody leadership, everybody respect, and everybody worth. And when we feel that, we're more apt to take responsibility and be accountable for what we do. Correct. Correct. The problem, and I, I now go back to that traditional leadership model. When I was younger and running around making all the decisions, the problem with that uh, is I alone owned the choices. And that model just doesn't really fit uh, the modern world we live in where agility and decentralization and decision-making really need to happen because of how fast the world, um, how fast the world moves. So it, it, it just is time for a change, but this kind of change is hard to make because we've gone as human beings, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of years with thinking that leadership's about collecting power, pulling it into the center. And I'm now talking about and writing about and practicing uh, the opposite, which is giving power away, dispersing it again back to where it belongs, which is with everyone. It sounds like a recipe to run a country, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I think so. Think about, well, think about this. Think about um, the biggest challenges facing us today, whether it's a virus like COVID or whether it's the environmental health of the planet. Who has to lead to to overcome those challenges. We everybody. All do. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody, everybody has everybody. to lead. And to vote every day, right? To vote every day through our pockets and our decisions. Correct. I Correct. Think that, that so, that's yeah, the shared leadership, I think, that um, I, what I get from what you're just saying. Yeah. And I really think, too, Lisa, that this is the ultimate um, arc and trajectory of humanity, even though it might not feel like it right now. There's a scene in my book where I have a, a bit of an epiphany about the, the power behind, behind these ideas. I was actually out walking in the Arizona desert at sunset when these five words came to me. In nature, power is dispersed. Yes. So I paused and I looked around and I started, you would have got, gotten a kick out of this. I started asking a series of rhetorical questions to the desert itself. I was all alone, but I said, um, where's the capital of this desert? 
where is its headquarters? Where is the CEO? Where are the managers and the supervisors? I uh, looked over at some of the cactus and I said, which one of you cactus is in charge of all the others? And the answer, of course, was self-evident that the the power of nature is dispersed. It's scattered and diffused. It lives in all its parts and pieces. And humans who are part of nature, not above it, ultimately aspire to organize in this same way. But for that to play out, the way we think about both leadership and followership has got to uh, reinvent and essentially invert itself. I've been talking with Kevin Hancock today. He is the author of The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. To learn more about Kevin's work and shared leadership, please visit www.kevindhancock.com, on Twitter at Hancock Lumber, Facebook, Kevin Hancock, and on Instagram, Kevin D. Hancock. Kevin, come back and hang out with me. We've got much more to talk about, I think. Lisa, I would love that, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. And Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cyphers-Kamen and my guests, Rob Dubay and Kevin Hancock, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.